this guy selling his company for 475k i believe comes with a shop and it comes with his name i'll make that back in my first year of business wow Welcome to another Upflip episode. My name is Alex Freeman, and today we have Jonathan Portacallion on our podcast, who along with his brothers scaled their father's remodeling business to over $2 million a year in a matter of one year. They took over the company at the end of 2019 after their father passed away, and they managed to keep the legacy going and outdo what their father had built. In this episode, we'll connect with Jonathan on how he was able to scale up to 160 k a month in a short span of time. What strategies are they implementing to scale their business past the $3 million a year mark? What are the two most important skills to possess in this business? How all of the brothers ended up in this business and what you can learn from their journey to start a remodeling business of your own. Jonathan, to kick things off first, thanks for being here and please tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Alex. I appreciate it. Well, grew up in a Christian family of 11. Grew up in the construction world with my dad. I've been going to the job with my dad since I was five. So I've been in this industry my whole life. And um, there's seven uh, seven boys and four girls in my family, and wow. just an all yeah all outdoorsmen uh, among among a lot of other things. And uh, your your path to running and owning a business is is definitely different from a lot of the entrepreneurs we interview. Can you kind of talk a little bit about how you came into the business? So you said you were building along, uh, you know, for much of the much of the life. But how did when did you kind of officially come into the business? And how was that process of of leading up to to ultimately taking over it in tragic circumstances? Me and my brother been working with my dad off and on for probably about four years. Well, really, our whole lives but we, we kind of did full-time uh, for about four years. I went to Minnesota for a while. Jared went to Missouri. And then we end, and uh, when it happened in August, when my dad uh, was jumping on a pogo stick and hit his head mm. and was uh, admitted to the hospital, I was in Washington. My brother was in Florida and um, he was in a coma for mm. a good two and a half weeks before he passed. We went into a full attack mode. It was a scramble from day one to just get some kind of ground underneath of us because we wanted to take over my dad's business, but he never let us. Hmm. He was super old school and uh, we just never did. But that was the first time in October of 2019. I mean, that was just like boots to the ground. We haven't stopped since. I mean, uh, it's just been full speed. Um, and there's there's a, so much to the story, to be honest with you, we could be here all day. No business really experience before 2019. Where did the the kind of the learning start? What was the very first thing that you and your brothers kind of felt like you needed to sort out? Shoot, organization, dude. I mean, mm. we had no groundwork. We had nothing at all. There was no accounting. There was no system for proposals, nothing. You can just think of it. I mean, nothing against my dad at all, but he had absolutely nothing when it came to organization. And so uh, that's kind of been our, and still is our number one thing is being organized and systemized. Because when you can combine those two, that's where you're going to succeed in the long run. So going from a business that was, sounds like operating kind of like all in your dad's head and on the back of a napkin. Yep. um, How did you develop those systems? Like where did you turn for that initial advice? Books, lots of books. I mean, the only reason I was able to be in the position I was in and actually succeed. It all started with a YouTube ad from Ty Lopez. Um, <laughs> if everyone's seen his ads, but um, it was before then I was kind of in a slump and he was like, if you want to be 
successful and want what you have always dreamed of knowledge. And like that's connected with me so well. And so in preparation for the moment, we were in preparation. It was obviously, it was just all spur of the moment, but I had probably read, I don't know, like 30 books. Well, that's not true. Probably about 60 or 70 in about a year and a half, two year span. Everything. Uh, I've got about 104 now under my belt since like 2017. So business and then just copying the moguls in business mm. when it comes to, you know, Tommy Mello, A1 Garage Doors, you know, a little bit of Grant Cardone, a little bit of Gary Vee. Not a whole lot of like actual in-person mentoring, mm. just all books and uh, people I follow online. You said you're still definitely in the midst of it, uh, you know, not not too long ago. Uh, yeah. But in hindsight, if you could go back to that beginning moment, is there anything that you wish you could have done differently that might have made that transition easier? No. I mean, it's been like uh, two and a half, not even two and a half years. Mm. Me and my brother and my sister-in-law it's it's been like a trifecta it's we've always been um everyone's kind of got their shortcomings and their strengths and because of us three i mean it's really me and my brother's business but she does all of our accounting now after the first year she came on she quit her job at a trade school and uh started building that back end for us but honestly man it's it's super scrappy like you're just you just have to try things abandon it you learn fast you know don't hold on to the same thing uh, that idea that you thought was so great or that process you thought was so good, you can't be attached to it. I mean, that's being a, being a adaptable like water is like our number one uh, skill. And that's what's making us successful at the moment. As you kind of you work together, a lot of entrepreneurs have very small teams at the top or they're solo founders or they're sole CEOs. How are you working through decision-making processes? And how did you decide that decision-making structure in the beginning? Shoot. <laughs> it kind of goes like, Jared's my older brother. He's two years older than me. It kind of, <laughs> on some things, it's like, it's my way because I'm older <laughs> and I don't care. I'm the boss. I'm like, you know, we're partners. Nah, dude. And so that's kind of how we <laughs> we go through things. But, you know, more or less, just we have a the understanding of being the best at what we're doing is possible, being the best at it. And so whether he's the best at doing estimates, like I, I stink at estimates. I haven't done but like two. He's because that's the role he jumped into when uh, when my dad passed because he was the older. And honestly, he's better suited for it which I can sell really good. But anyway, um, he it, it's more or less like when it comes to concrete. So he listens to everything I have to say about concrete because the guys that I listen to have been in the concrete industry for 30, 40 years hmm. and they know everything. And so I listen to them. So we definitely like uh, that kind of decision-making. It's not very hard for us because it's like, all right, what's the best way and what's the fastest way? If we don't know the fastest way, we'll figure it out, but we need to know the best way and go from there. And so it's almost a breeze because we just want to do the best and have the most top quality of a project as possible. Mm. And so I guess I guess I want to take a step back for our listeners here real quick and talk a little bit about uh, what services does Port Building provide? What kind of divisions do you have? Can you just give us kind of a, a 30,000 foot view of the company? As of 2021, we built a... Yeah, it's about a $700,000 custom home. I mean, if it was valued now, it'd be like $1.5 million. But we we put about uh, $500,000 into it plus our commission. Um, and then we built another house that we just sold 
So like we were into the custom home, then we started buying houses and flipping them. Hmm. And then that transitioned into pools because now there's a whole nother story to this, but we're going into uh, the pool business full time. I don't want to do anything remodel related. I'm done with that. Honestly, it's just in-ground pools. And uh, we're in the process now of acquiring a new pool company. Um, and then if we do build any houses, my brother will kind of do that. Uh, um, but that's what it's looking like this year. We have uh, like 19 pools on the books and then uh, uh, we should have 30 by like March. So I'd love that's to to kind of dive into that, that decision as well. Um, what is the, can you kind of talk about what what makes you want to move away from the remodel business and kind of into pools? What's the what's the draw and what's the the downside of remodels that makes you want to leave? The downside there's a lot. <laughs> I'm in the field 24/7. Um, you know, my brother does more of the office stuff, and when we're we have a trailer full of equipment and all the materials, you got to have like 30 things just to like uh, remodel. And, you know, you're doing tile one minute, you're doing HVAC the next minute, you're doing electrical. And honestly, it's so hard to get organized. And I didn't have enough passion for it to even care to be like so organized that I want to stay in it because it's definitely profitable, and especially now. But I was just like, I'm done. And when we got into pools, that just kind of took off. And that's a whole nother story too on how we got into pools. But it just took off and then we ended up being really good at building pools. And so we're like, well, since they're so good at it, not to toot our own horn, you know, we built, try to build the best quality we can be. We could do this more. And so just now we're booking more. This new pool company came up for sale. So we're acquiring it and we're like, well, we were going to be custom home builders, but I guess we can build yeah. pools too <laughs> um, and be a full pool building company. That's kind of where it's at. And I like the pools because I can really, all right, it's not all the same, but it's a lot easier to systematize. Mm -hmm. And uh, the turnover is uh, faster, a little bit faster, and it's more profitable for me. I would love to, let's go with the story of how did you get into pools? How did that start? Because obviously the, that that came before you have made the decision to acquire a pool company. So take us through that whole journey, really. Okay, so we were flipping houses and um, we pretty much were at like a standstill and ran out of work because we weren't marketing geniuses by any stretch and still aren't. And so while we're doing that, my brother's like, I want a pool build. And before that, we had already worked on some projects. We already did some vinyl liners. We, we had already built an entire pool, uh, a couple of them for other people. It wasn't that complicated for us. And so we're like, we'll just build our own, use it for marketing and pay ourselves to work. And so Jer my brother took a mortgage out of his ha on his house to pay for the pool. Um, so, you know, we're in this deep. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're, we're, we're fully committed here. By the time we get it, uh, not even halfway done, we did a laminate floor for a guy in this pretty rich neighborhood. And he's like, I didn't know you guys did pools. I'm about to have a pool done. I'm like, well, hold up. Wait, we can do your pool, man. <laughs> and he's like, well, come on, give me an estimate. We're like, all right, perfect. So we ended up getting his pool and um, we lost money on that one, the learning curve of estimating and all that uh, fun stuff. But we did his pool. It was a pretty cool one. It had an auto cover, stamped concrete, uh, retaining wall in the back. We had we put in a 200 feet of drainage in the back because the developer didn't do a good job. There's a lot to this pool. So once we did that, then they started posting on you know all organic off of uh, their little uh, page for the community. And it's called Covered Bridge. We ended up doing we ended up getting uh, like one 
on a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven more pools in that neighborhood in wow. total. And then my brother's neighbor wanted one during that time we were doing our first two pools. And then we got another pool from our painter. So it just kind of built into um, doing more pools. And then, uh, you know, we were definitely learning at that point. But, you know, we've been building for so long that, you know, uh, just like the the nuances of, okay, how do you set these or put this together? And, you know, is this going to hold or when we pour the footer or this, that and the other? I mean, it's not complicated for us because we just we've been building uh, since we were little within uh, grow groups. That's how we found Jamie, who's the owner of Wetscapes Fiberglass Pools. And um, that is our uh, next play. We're, we're getting a loan on SBA loan for it. He doesn't want hardly anything for the company. And we get a shop with it. He does 15 to 30 a year. So it's just about how much he wants to do. So that's going to really catapult us. And he's got a contract with Imagine Pools, which is the top fiberglass shell company in the U.S., uh, or the actually the world, their gel coating is the top gel coating in, on the planet right now. That was another reason why we wanted his company because that's super important to us is quality. And a lot of these fiberglass shells are junk. Uh, mm. the, the gel coats fade out. I don't know if you have a pool or not, but these fiberglass shells, they'll like fade out every year uh, in, in a year or sometimes maybe like five years, like 10. These have like a 25 year. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, they're, they're really good. And so um, we were hesitant to go into the fiberglass because of that reason. But once we found them and we're like, dude, we, we could do fiberglass. And quite honestly, we make a lot more money. We can do twice as many pools because they're so much quicker. And do you think that the the acquisition is kind of the key to to scaling that that portion of the business? Or is there is there a path to a more organic growth route if someone wanted to go that way or the opportunity to acquire didn't present itself to somebody? I mean, definitely we could still be growing because we have still booked like 15 pools of our own just off the small network we've built. And I'm doing a pool now. It's 20 by 50 vinyl liner and it's got a sun deck. It's got the works, dude. It's corner seats on the deep end, eight foot deep, automatic cover, jet, slide, diving board. He's going to have like 170 into it. Wow. But his network is massive. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, you get into his network and you position yourself properly, then he's going to look at He's looking at us right now. He was just talking to us about, you know, referring to us to some of his people that he knows because he's in the excavating business and he does trim carpentry and his trim company does like 10 million a year. And so he knows people, he knows wealthy people. So that doing pools for the right people is a, a huge growth opportunity. The acquisition that is helping us build a bigger network. Hmm. You know, now that we said we're buying wetscapes, everyone is like, well, who's port building? Because <laughs> we've only been <laughs> on the map a couple of years. And um, they're like, well, who are these guys? And, you know, there's another pool company, Brummett. They do like 50 a year. They're booked out three years. And so they're big. And he's best friends with Jamie. And uh, the guy at my the, uh, rent equipment from, he knows literally everybody. The you know, the, we did a pool and covered bridge, the greenskeeper for covered bridge. I built a good relationship with him because I need to be able to get on the golf course to do this pool. Everyone else turned this pool down except us um, because of that reason. It's a pretty funny story, but, and that guy knows everybody, literally. They grew, everyone grew up with each other around this entire area, which is pretty cool. So the acquisition part is really blown up our name and uh, we have already have a good reputation for quality and customer service and people, everyone likes us. 
uh, we would definitely wouldn't be where we're at if people didn't like us. We did uh, shoddy work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it helps in two different ways, really. It seems like uh, that word of mouth and referrals is is the real key to acquiring new customers. Are you doing any additional outside marketing? No, it's all organic. And, uh, you know, I'm all about marketing, man. One of my ventures back in the day was starting my own agency which I turned out I didn't like working with people in that way at all. <laughs> it's a pain in the neck trying to get people to you know, get you passwords and you know, get a website because they need one so you can collect data. And anyway, I was, you know, I'm trying to always be with me and my brother, that's kind of a disconnect. I'm always like, we got to do marketing, dude. We got to do some, some promotions, try to build a, an audience. And so we can turn on our marketing when we need to and turn it off. Um, but he's always too cheap. And quite honestly, we, we didn't have that much money anyway. So, but now it's just built into all organic. And uh, part of this acquisition deal is he's going to book us out for a year. Mm. Um, and he'll probably book us into 2023, to be honest with you. Once every, every all of his whole list of people, and then I take over our, our Google page and his Facebook page, um, it's it's going to be go around really fast. And we'll, we don't even have to do any marketing. And he hasn't done any marketing for his entire life. Jamie hasn't done anything. And he, at one point, he was doing 30 pools a year. Like, we got a pool now for a guy. They own a real estate company here. It's worth like 200 million. And it's because of him. And that's the kind of pools that he does. And so it's just because he's got a good reputation. And now, more than ever, it's the best time to be building, like, for sure. And it makes it so much easier because of uh, with everything going on. But less money I got to spend on marketing, I guess. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it makes a lot of sense that, especially when you're talking about these types of items, you know, a pool, like everybody, you walk into somebody's house, and you just see their pool, and you go, Oh, who did your pool? And then they'd go, Oh, I loved work. I loved working with these guys, you should use them as well. Um, as opposed to I, I don't know that somebody guess a, a television ad might work. Uh, but I don't know a lot of people that are like, I'm gonna put a pool in my house. Oh, thank goodness. I saw that TV. ad. Yeah, it can. But who was I listening to? Oh, some podcast. It was talking about you know doubling down on the customer experience mm. and uh, how far that goes because there's a lot of you know a lot of statistics on what people refer you with a good experience and what they'll refer you to, how many times they'll refer you to if you have a bad experience. And the bad experience is far more; it's like triple. Um, and so I've kind of been in my head. I haven't really done much on it, but I've been kind of thinking how can I improve the experience of the homeowner to where like all they want to do is talk about us. And like these two guys, like we're pretty young, like I'm 23 and my brother's 25. And so like, we're, we're kind of young natured. Most people think my we're like 10 years older. Cause no mm-hmm. one thinks that a 23 and 25 year old are building a half a million dollar pool. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> that customer experience is kind of my number one thing now. So I can build that referral base, like even tenfold. So that's kind of like, I won't even do any marketing anymore. In the paid sense, I'll do all organic. Try to be it like this year is going to be a big year for content because with my YouTube channel and then with the company's YouTube channel, um, I'm going to be doing a, I'll be doing a ton of that and then just uh, focusing on that customer experience for sure. What are your What are your kind of initial thoughts on that on that customer experience side of things? Like, what do you What do you already think that your company does well from a customer experience perspective, and what Where do you think you can improve? So our, we had a client now where he's spending probably like 250K. We're building him a pavilion. It's got, you know, the whole grill bar, keg grater. He's got his pool. It's about 3,800 square feet of stamp concrete, equipment, wall, hot tub, the whole deal. 
he was washing his Corvette. He's got a new 2021 Stingray Corvette mid-engine. And his handle broke on his uh, faucet, uh, his spring uh, water hose, whatever it's called. <laughs> and he got mad and he was so ticked. He texted my brother and he was so ticked because he had to go. He is washing his cars and I didn't know it was broke. One of my guys broke it. One of my concrete guys. And um, I had no idea. And um, so I was like, what ever, dude? <laughs> and my brother was like, dude, just go over there and get him a new one. And I was like, all right. So I left my job. Within 30 minutes, I went to Dollar General and picked up two and went and dropped them off and put it next to his bucket. And <laughs> so like that kind of stuff, like that is kind of their mindset. Like at the end of the day, like I'm not going to let, I'm not going to come out on Sundays. Mm-hmm. I go to church on Sunday, spend time with the family. I'm not doing that. I'm very limited on Saturdays. You guys, you're spending a lot of money, but I'm also providing a lot of uh, value and I am a person and I'm not going to be run over by anybody. I don't care how much money you got. Um, so there's like a fine line, but there's not too much we won't do for our clients, to be honest with you. What we're lacking, um, I'm kind of thinking like maybe birthday cards, Christmas cards, maybe like a thank you packet for when we sign a contract, uh, all kinds of stuff like that. We'll see. Do you have any uh, kind of process for reading and responding to online reviews on sites, Yelp, Angie, wherever you might be, Google? I've only gotten one bad review. And it That's was great. from a floor. Yeah, it was from a floor we did. And I couldn't do nothing about the floor. The manufacturer, you know, the floor was just bad from the manufacturer and they blamed it on us. It was laminate back in the day when we was doing remodels. Another reason why I hate it. <laughs> but there's not really, my only process is just genuinely commenting back and um, kind of how I would normally, like if I was in, interacting with that person, like I've got clients now that I have invited to my gender reveal party. So that we've kind of built that relationship. One of them, Sarah, she's super nice. So like if she writes a review, I'll, I'll comment back like something like I know her. And so it makes it kind of cool. Um, and if the other people that are kind of just more like, I guess, professional <laughs> and they just kind of like buy the book, then I'll just comment back something really nice. But um, that's kind of how I handle them. And if if they don't like them, I, we'll see what happens when I get a bad one, a, a real bad one. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Uh, hopefully, hopefully none coming. But uh, how important are those yeah. for for either bringing in new customers or maybe even like you've you've had a conversation with somebody? Is that a way to help close? Like, what is the how important are are staying on top of those? That's a big part of reputation, man. Because we're reputation based, so um, all of our online reviews and what people think about us online is pretty golden. Even with our uh, with the loans that we get for, we still buy some real estate right now. And um, we've got loans on equipment and whatnot, but banks look at us online. So having a good online presence is super key and people can come look at us and the reviews are important because everyone looks at them. It's like Google is king on that one for us. Everyone looks at the reviews um, and what's more important than reviews. Well, it's just as important is uh, good content showing the projects um, because some of these smaller guys don't have that uh, like a lot of small pool companies or maybe even big pool companies, even Brummett, they don't post nothing. There's such a big reputation in the community that they just don't bother. But on that one, I just want to stand out, but both important for sure. You've, you know, you've mentioned that the acquisition will have you booked out maybe even into 2023, at least on the, on the pool front for sure. How far out are you typically booked? And what is that process like of like bringing in a new job and getting it scheduled and figuring out how long that job will take? Twenty. 21 was pretty much all pools and it was really a referral basis. And it was like 
month at a time. We weren't booked past like a month. And then um, about October, September, October, we started booking pools into 2022 because then we started building our network. This acquisition came up. And so now getting farther along when the spring hits is when it's really going to blow up because the search for pools. And that's another reason why online presence is so important because the data on pool search, in-ground pool search is like, like 20 fold in March than the winter. It just spikes, dude. And so uh, that's when people really kind of get under their belt. Like, oh, dude, we need to get our pool going, which it's too late. It's like (laughs) you should have had it done like six months ago, especially now you know, with equipment and stuff, I have to do early buy-ins on my equipment from my supplier. So definitely be the first year we've had anything booked out past like two months. So that's super cool and possibly a year and that'd be even more cool. Can you talk about, you just made a brief mention of it, of your, the equipment necessary. Um, One, what equipment do you own? What equipment are you (laughs) renting? And what equipment would somebody who is looking to get into pools, uh, might they need at start? Okay, so that's a big question. Let's start with the uh, equipment needed. So every pool is, is uh, vinyl liner. They're pretty much all the same. You got a set of panels. You put together 42 inches. You lock them together with turnbuckles and it sets your shell and you pour concrete around that. Um, and then whether you want a sun deck, steps, they got fiberglass steps that you can uh, put it in. And they pretty much all is held in with bolts. And then once you put that concrete footer around the base, that'll hold it all in. And then you backfill it, whatnot. And um, I show a lot of it on my channel. But when with the fiberglass um, pools, it's just a shell. Like that's the main body of work. And then you got the equipment. If you want a heater, pump. I obviously need a pump. Uh, heater's optional. But a pump, filter, uh, if it's a salt pool, salt chlorinator, that kind of equipment. That would be for the pool itself. And a lot of little things, lights and whatnot. But for actual equipment, I bought a uh, 55 Kubota excavator this year or 2021, which is kind of a big deal for us. We had already had a 75 skid steer, two essentials when digging pools. I mean, you can have someone dig pools for you. It's about now it's up, it's up higher. It's like four to five, four to six thousand. Get someone to dig your pool. If you're lucky, they'll haul the dirt off. If not, if you're more lucky, you can leave it at the job. Um, and then once you get all your panels set and whatnot, you pretty much don't need equipment until you backfill. Everything else is hand tools, you know, tape measure, saws, grinders, drills. I mean, I've got like 20, 25, 30, 30K worth of hand tools, plate compactors, grinders, battery tools. And then my uh, excavator, it's like 80,000. My skid steer is uh, what, 70? There's enough money in it. For sure, to get if you're getting started, um, but that's not how I would start for sure. And have have you been dealing with any disruptions from supply chain issues that has? Because and how are you navigating those issues? Perfect example. We are doing this massive pool. He just decided to add a, a automatic cover. His wife wanted one, and mainly because the pool's so big, they, that cover now is on uh, on order. I think for two and a half months. Oh, wow. So once we get like, we found that out as we were digging the hole. Uh, Normally before we dug the hole, this guy was already on a contract for like two and a half months, you know? So we want people to be like super precise in what they want because normally, like, especially now, like chlorinators for saltwater pools, stupid. Like sometimes you can't even get them. 
So those are hard. You can't even run a pool without it. Saltwater pool, because most of our pools are saltwater right now. But at that point, people understand. Plus, it's in our contract. I mean, if there's nothing we can do with equipment, like it is what it is. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing I can do. So we just kind of go with the flow, try to keep everything ready. So as soon as that part comes in, we're ready to go. What is that process like of initial conversation with a client to this is the plan and then they start to change it? And what kind of people skills do you need to navigate those, some of those big changes in particular? Uh, it's more, it kind of goes like my brother talked to him about every option, really. This, you know, lining out on our estimate, you can take this off, take this off, take this off. And then the, we'll, we'll uh, with our experience, we'll kind of tell them, all right, you got kids or whatever. And normally the people that have more we really advise roll covers, automatic roll covers. They're like $15,000 it, but so nice. And especially like moms, when the when the women are spending money, there's no budget, dude. Let me tell you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so we always like, all right, she's going to want one. Like depending on the read with safety and the kids and the mother instinct, like whatever's safest, that mom's going to want eventually. But normally they'll give us a text or call. Hey, we want to change it. And then, you know, it's going to screw us our whole job up. We won't be able to finish it. We just kind of look at each other and just like, you know, get all mad. And it's like, ah, whatever, dude, it's more money. We just go on with it. <laughs> you know, it's, okay, you want that? Sure, you can have it. You want to pay for it? I'll do whatever you want. I think that's a, that's probably the best uh, customer service advice I've heard is that uh, just remember that, you know, as they add these things and add these changes, it means more money. That's the... <laughs> Yeah, dude, it's more money for me. Like, I'm not doing it. Back in the day, we used to uh, do stuff for free. And uh, I, and, and at one point, I'm like, dude, it stresses me out because like, I have to go to this job. Even though I get paid per hour, I did. I'm like, I, I know the company's not making Jack Diddley. So it stresses me out that we are not making any money and I'm going back and doing this for free. So that's a thing of the past. <laughs> and I'm like, fine, you know, we get 20% is our percentage. And then if it's harder stuff, we just tack on more money, whatever it is. We got extra labor. You know, uh, We might make it a little extra because it, it didn't take as long as we anticipated, but we always cover ourselves. So sometimes it could be 20 to 25, maybe 30%. Um, 20 is our base. But I'm like, well, whatever, you know, I'll just build another two pools while I'm waiting for this cover. Yeah. You know, no problem. <laughs> um, I know that you're, that kind of profit margin conversation when you were looking at the the home remodel, the custom homes, all of the kind of the everything that you've done so far, I presume, and I think you've alluded to it, that pools are the best margins. Yeah. And what are but looking at the other things, if someone was looking to get into one of those areas of business, pools seem to have a higher cost of entry. Is there a good margin, lower cost of entry to get started kind of spot that someone could look at? I mean, yeah, there could be a dude, there could be a hundred ways, honestly, because it, it depends on the right time, right place. Like, who knows? You could work out a deal with some dude, some mom and pop operation who's building a quality pool. Maybe you take over the company. Maybe you buy him out. Uh, at one point, maybe you like you you work with him and you pay payments with the money you're getting from the company to pay him off. That's all he wants. That could be a thing. This guy's selling his company for 475K, I believe. Comes with a shop and it comes with his name. I'll make that back in my first year of business. Wow. And that's profit. I'm not making it back on pools because my goal is 20 to 30%. So I'll make anywhere from 20 to 40K on a pool. So if I do you know, 30 pools, that's a lot of money, dude. That's yeah. more than 475K. That's just, that's from net profit. 
So that was a steal for sure. And that guy just wants to move to Florida. So it's all about opportunity and putting yourself in that position. But the only way you can put yourself in that position is if you're actually in that world. So like anybody that's starting construction, I would never go off and be like, hey, I want to build a house or remodel a floor. Like I'm just going to go into business myself. No, I would definitely work with like the best people possible for two, three, maybe five, 10 years. Because the amount of experience that you're going to gain, you're going to be able to catapult yourself even further with way less mistakes or partnering with someone who's really good. But especially in the construction industry, man, like you really need that experience in person. How important is not making mistakes as you're starting out as a company? Can you just kind of speak to that reputation, that early reputation management? The key is to not make expensive mistakes. <laughs> because you're going to make mistakes. Now, it depends. Choose your mistakes wisely, right? There's a different kind of mistake. Like I could pour a different mix of concrete on a footer and it would set up maybe like twice as fast. And all right, well, we had to rush like, you know, way faster. We're way more tired, wore out. That was a mistake. I should have got something that dried a lot slower. So I didn't have to rush. I got a concrete pump. It's locking up. I got all kinds of problems. That is a very cost-effective mistake. Um, mistakes like, oh, <laughs> uh, building a pool and then it caving in. <laughs> that you want to avoid and that I've done. And um, there, that was a whole deal, man. But that's the kind of mistakes you want to avoid. So, you know, definitely making a lot of... I ask a lot of questions all the time to avoid the most uh, I can, you know, just like with concrete, especially that's our finished product. So what's the best times to pour the weather, the right mixes, uh, what's in the concrete, uh, how we seal it, if we seal it, um, how the stamping process goes, this, that, and the other. And I've known most of it in my life, a lot of it, but I've learned a ton about sealing, about times to pour, what it needs to be under your subgrade. You want everything packed right. You want the rebar correct. So many little things that you uh, that you pick up if you're uh, savvy, you know, that help in the long run of having a quality product. Um, but mistakes you need because that's what makes you learn. Operationally, what kind of overhead does the company have? And how does that, that kind of break down? You know, there's obviously the cost of the people out on the job, but then what's the, what's the in-office kind of costs? Okay, we've got insurance. Well, I just paid off one of my trucks. I've got a newer truck on a payment. I've got skid steer, excavator single axle dump truck and fuel me and my brother and my sister-in-law so camille our secretary uh, we all get a salary and that's to save money actually because we're working nonstop. <laughs> um it's not you know back in the day get a salary get a comfortable job nah we get a salary because we work more and we can't afford ourselves <laughs> hourly <laughs> but now actually going into 2022 i'm actually going to probably give myself a raise because we're looking a lot better and we can afford it there's enough overhead honestly. And reducing that overhead soon as much as we can is kind of our goal, but also having cash in the bank. So we have money to play with because we're, dude, we're, we're like on a monthly basis, I would say we're, we're pushing out anywhere from like 20 to 50 K, you know, just on materials and labor and fuel. So you got to have cash for sure. How many employees do you have right now? And kind of what's that, what's that typical pay rate you've got for them? So technically I've got one, there's only four employees myself jared and camille and then i've got so she's our main secretary she's got a part-time secretary under her so that's the importance of bookkeeping let me tell you mm -hmm. with permits logging job receipts 
uh, keeping up on our time clock, payroll, insurance, all that stuff. Camille does. She's a she's good. And then Tara is our other secretary. Help, probably works like 10 hours a week, 10, 15 hours a week. Helps her with that. So yeah, definitely that's a must. And she also takes our calls and Jared handles the rest. So our other employees is uh, Ulysses. He's part-time. Um, I'm keeping him on for now uh, until we hit summer that it's going to be full-time. He's got a buddy in Florida. He's probably going to come up and work. So I'll probably have two full-time employees this year. We've had employees on and off all year, uh, 2021, 2020. So, uh, but now we've got some guys that are building a solid crew. How do you go about finding those employees? And then what challenges have you had in hiring reliable guys? My guys have all come from my concrete guy. Well, helping me the first two years of business was an ex-Amish dude that, you know, I helped become a legal citizen of the US. Oh, wow. So he helped me for two years. And then I had some friends I grew up with help us work with us. And I pay him like, like they do day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Normally the Mexican crews, like all my concrete guys are Mexicans. They do like 150 if it's like a slow day. Like 250, it's a really good day. And then like the really good finishers, it's like 250 for a long day. Um, so I was like, I'm not doing that. I don't do that. I do hourly. So I got them at like $22 an hour. Nice. One of the reasons why I charge what I charge for my pools is I have to pay my guys. Mm-hmm. I got to pay us. And so I want to. I also want to kind of hear about your your day to day. Doesn't sound like uh, this is you know a Tim Ferriss four hour work week by any means. Uh, so what, can you can you talk us through what your what your typical week looks like? Bro, I wish four hours. That'd be nice. I'm not in the ecom space. Typical day, man, is there's a lot of planning. The more and more as it more efficient as I get, planning is like my friend and organization. Like I said in the beginning of the podcast. And systemization, systemization, organization, planning all go hand in hand. The start of a project, I'll kind of go over it with Jared. We'll meet at the job, mark it out. A11, they have already done the markings, checking all the wires and water lines. Most of the time they're off anyway, so it's kind of irrelevant. <laughs> Always prepare to hit something, a bursting wire line, whatever, and then check all of our water lines where the main is. Every, t- every job, <laughs> never know. And we'll mark it out. And uh, I'll already beforehand make sure the excavator, if it's not already there, and depending on what my brother's doing, he'll haul it with his truck. And then um, I'll have already had the skidster or the excavator there, one or the other, or sometimes both, depending on what I was doing the day before, to get prepared. So all we got to do is show up and get to work. And I'm not showing up at 8 a.m. And then by the time 9.30 hits around, I'm actually digging. Now, I want to be digging within like the first like 30 minutes mm. of getting prepped. And then it's working, dude. And then going home, coming back, working again, planning. I've transitioned into more scheduling than I was probably like six months ago, just because it takes a lot off my brother's plate and I'm better at it than he is. (laughs) (laughs) That's a, I mean, that's a pretty good uh, representation of my day to day. Do you have any advice that you might give to someone who is about to take over an existing business? So anything that you've, you've learned in this acquisition process? We wouldn't be here if we were slow if we didn't take risks. I mean, most of our friends are like, dude, you're trying to buy a company for how much? <laughs> and we're like, well, we could just go get a regular job, but that kind of sucks, dude. So, you know, we're going to do this. A fortune favors the bold. And I'm like, well, you know, why not? We didn't have uh, any big loans like that before with all this equipment, with all this overhead we have. It was, you know, really scary for us, but we didn't hesitate. We needed it. We had somewhat of a plan. 
<laughs> what <laughs> we're going to use it for. Like with our, our single axle dump truck, uh, it's going to come in super handy this year. 2021 was like decently, but it's a pretty big payment. But with a couple of jobs, we couldn't have done it without it. And renting it is unthinkable. The payment to rent a single axle dump truck is unthinkable. Um, it's like 400 bucks a day. Oh, wow. And so we're like, we're not doing that. We need like 10 days on one job. I'm not doing that. So we bought it. Uh, it wasn't like, let's have this plan. Let's think about it for a month or two. No, it was like days, dude. Like we're hours and days the way we adapt and figure out like what we need. We're not slow at all. And so that's what's made us to why we made two right at 2 million in 2021. Um, that helped with the houses we built, but in, with all the pools we're going to be doing in 22, we should pass 3 million for sure. And so, and that is not because we took our time. We have been gutsy and not played around. And so that's, that's what it takes. That's what we've done. And that's what it's going to take if you want to build something. Some things you can't move fast on, but a lot of things you can, man. It's always on the phone, making calls, figuring this out, writing this down, moving quick but also moving uh, smooth and efficiently. It's super key, man. Super key. So that kind of brings us uh, really nicely to our, our last question. The question we like to ask all of our guests is, uh, if you had to recommend one business book, what would it be and why? Uh, and you have you know, read a collection of them. So I'm looking forward to what your, what your answer is here. The 10X Rule by Grant Cardone. Without massive action and massive thinking, you got nothing, in my opinion. And then, can I say some more? Yeah, please, more? please, please. I've got one, and I I can't remember the name. Oh, Good to Great. That's it. By uh, Jim Collins. Yeah, Good to Great. Talking about companies. Like, this is exactly the things that have gotten me just to where I'm at. I'm not even where I want to be. Like, I'm headed for billions. That's mm -hmm. kind of my goal. Like, I thought about it one day. I'm like, well, why not? I, I feel like I'm holding myself back by saying, ah, I just want a couple million and make some good money and take care of my kids and family. But I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to need something to do. So building companies or building my company, investing in real estate, that's kind of my goal is billions. And this book, Good to Great by Jim Collins is incredible. And then the, uh, the one thing, is it Gary Keller? Yeah. Yeah. What's the most important thing? What's the one thing you can do right now to... Uh, push you forward to your goal. What's the one thing you got to do now to get that one thing done? Like it's just a domino effect thinking. And so between those three books, there's nothing you can't do. Like, they're just incredible to me. So those are the three I'd recommend. I wouldn't even recommend one. It's those three. I love it. I'm gonna. I've read. I've read two of them. I'll, I'll add the third to my to read list. And Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us here on the Upflip Podcast. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you. Alex. It's been an incredible conversation. Uh, to everybody out there, make sure you subscribe to the podcast here, and also go find Upflip on YouTube. Go check out the Upflip blog at upflip.com/blog, and we'll be here next week with another great conversation with an entrepreneur. Once again, Jonathan, thank you so much. Alex, thank you so much. I appreciate it very much. 